and can't believe it's time for another episode yeah, all, it seems like it's just been another week like instantly i know i i don't know it's it's another week here ladies and gentlemen at do check out this song and uh tonight i'm actually pretty happy to bring you a uh, a band that i thought i actually didn't really like that much but after a little bit of uh listening i i think i may review that stance because uh, i had a little bit of fun just now listening to their jams so well, honestly, for me, I've never been the biggest fan of this band, but this band and their main member, Lou Reed, they've always kind of been like hit and miss with their music. Like they've, there's a lot of stuff you got to wade through before you get to those really golden tracks. Like they have some songs that are absolutely amazing, but there's a lot of shit you got to dig out before you get to it, you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, some of these tracks I didn't even realize was was Lou Reed or uh, or Velvet Underground to uh, to lay it out for everybody. Uh, but honestly, now that I listen to them, like it, it they all do kind of make sense sequentially. I don't know. We're going to see what the story's like. I haven't actually, like, I don't know anything about Lou Reed, so. Yeah, this one was a weird one to pile together for me because really we could have gotten, like, two maybe three episodes out of this if we would have followed their career after the velvet underground so i'm mainly going to stick to just what happened with the velvet underground i'll get into the kind of their childhoods and stuff but you know it's just it just felt like a little too much yeah information yeah exactly and you know we always try to bring you guys you know around an hour and we don't want to drag it out too long because it gets to be a little burdensome and if somebody has more than that they probably deserve a second episode anyways so and don't worry, you will have birthdays in this one. Oh, yay, birthdays! Pat's favorite. But I want to start this episode with kind of a saying that's always been kind of told about the Velvet Underground. Not everyone bought their album, but everyone who did started a band. <laughs> that's a pretty awesome quote. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of been the quote that's followed the band around. So, I mean, you know, they were never the most successful, but they had a lot of influence, so... That's pretty amazing because actually I, I do uh, I was looking at some of the YouTube comments and one of the top YouTube comments was start a band and I didn't understand it but now I totally do. Oh yeah and so if we're going to talk about the Velvet Underground we definitely got to talk about what's kind of considered their main member Lou Reed and so Lou Reed was born Lewis Allen Reed. Not Lucif, as I was going to make a joke about that earlier. <laughs> Lucif? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <God damn> it, <laughs> he was born March 2nd, 1942 in Brooklyn, New York, son of Sidney Joseph and Toby Reed. His family would eventually move to Freehold, New York on Long Island when he was about nine years old. He didn't adapt to his surroundings too well there. By the time he was in middle school, he was a big target of bullies. Oh, poor guy. Well, I mean, honestly, getting bullied can be tough for any kid. You yeah, know, and that shit sucks. can stick with you for a long time. Yeah, dude, getting bullied sucks, dude. It, it, it doesn't matter what type of kid you are. Just getting bullied sucks in general. I was bullied because of my size. Yeah, and you not because of my and dude, and because your bald hair, and cause I you, wasn't bald in middle your school face or high school. Funny looking. Well, I'll and give you that your, one. Your stupid voice. Oh, don't say that. The audience might figure it out and stop listening. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have to tell them. The voice is the only thing they see of you. They see that of me? And will hear of you. And your weird-shaped face, hands. I don't know. I'm just trying to be mean. It's not working because I'm not paying attention. Sticks yeah. and stones, Pat. Sticks and stones. Oh, my God. <laughs> I learned that in middle school, too. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Ian is impervious to bullying now. <laughs> and, you know, of course, with this bullying, you know, comes a lot of phobias and, and anxieties. And so, of course, with this bullying, you know, would come like a bunch of phobias and anxieties, you know, 
shit that anybody who's been bullied has gone through. At the age of 16 was when he would first start experimenting with drugs. But, you know, that's kind of later in his life. You know, I'm kind of jumbling up his whole history just to can't get through it. But and his parents hoping to deal with his problems, you know, like depression and being a sad teenager and that kind of shit. Yeah. His parents would follow the advice of a psychiatrist and shock therapy. They would end up sending him to an institution. Oh, my God, people, come on. And and so with this treatment, they believe that it would cure their son's attitude problems and apparent homosexuality. <laughs> yeah, because that's always worked. Yeah, just send him to asylum. The asylum will cure him of yeah. all their ails. Yeah. And apparently homosexuality is an ale. Uh, apparently. I mean, this is still the 60s. I mean... For us, it's kind of shocking to be like, really? We're like treating homosexuality that way? But uh, yeah, in the 60s, it was still totally a thing. And yeah, I, I, I get that. It just still pisses me off. Yeah, it's definitely stupid. And at the Creedmoor State Psychiatric Hospital, he would undergo, as you called it, electroshock therapy. Oh my God. I was joking. I was joking based on the other episode. Why do we have multiple people <laughs> getting shock therapy? He, Wait, this guy wasn't even doing a bunch of LSD first. Stop predicting the future of the past, okay? Oh my God. You know, and obviously, like, this kind of shit would stay with him for his entire life. Yeah, shock therapy. Well, yeah, that, that kind of does stay with you for your entire life. That's a he would end up writing about the effects of his treatment in a song he wrote called Kill Your Sons. So uh, just the title yeah, alone. Yeah, the title alone, yeah. ju- ju- that, that rocks you right there. So it definitely had a negative effect on him. That's so early in his story, too. We haven't even gotten to anything yet, and he's already getting electroshock therapy and shit. Yep. Just for being, like, what? Kind of gay. Sad I don't and know, gay. Like, you know, like, I think he was bisexual, not even, like, fully gay. Like... I don't know. He, I guess he just, you know, kind of had like a feminine. Yeah, literally any effeminate quality, yeah. probably. And they were like, "Oh, time to hit this fucking kid with lightning." It could have been. It could have been as little as I don't want to play sports. Sports are dumb. Yeah, exactly. Give me a doll or something like that. Now they're like, "Oh, that kid's sick. We better do something. Yeah, we we got to cure him of his homosexuality." <laughs> But, of course, you know, like a lot of people being troubled, they'll find a way to express it. Some people commit murders. Some people just play music. So we could be talking about Lou Reed, the serial killer, but instead we're going to talk about Lou Reed. The instead, musician. he picked up a guitar. Thank God. And we're, we're looking at you, Lead Belly. <laughs> he did both, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know to... if he's a serial killer. He's a serial slasher. <laughs> Razor slasher? Yeah, he's a, he's a slashist. <laughs> a slashist, that's good. You know, and he would listen to everything from rock and roll, doo-wop, R&B, and jazz. By the time he was in high school, he'd be playing in bands and gigging professionally. See how I'm kind of, I was kind of jumbling up the yeah. uh, timeline there? Mm-hmm. It just didn't make sense to try and fit it all into one. No, I understand. This was definitely a difficult research for me because there's there's so many little elements to it. His earliest group that he would do anything with would be called the Jades. He'd cut a single with them when he was 16 years old with the song So Blue. And on the flip side, Lever for Me. Lou Reed was playing guitar and singing backup vocals. And I guess apparently they would have a legendary session musician named King Curtis. The saxophone player didn't really have time to look him up. I've never heard of him. But if he's legendary, I'm pretty sure it wasn't from this time. And of course, these singles flopped you know and they were pretty good they just weren't his thing they sounded more like a doo-wop or almost or something like that. it was that. definitely like a doo style but this brings me to my first dude check out the song one we haven't had in a while what Woo! oh yeah that's right i forgot we do that because <laughs> uh, we didn't do that last week at all not at all that was weird we definitely were suffering from dude check out the song itis yeah exactly i've, I've had my, i'm going through withdrawals how about I eject you with some dude check out the song right in your vein? The Jane's so blue. Oh, yes. Actually, this is one of the jams we could jam to earlier, and it is well worth listening to. Yeah, this to. is a good doo-wop song, but that's what it is, is a doo-wop song. And despite, you know, the lack of success from this, it, it didn't stop him, you know? Otherwise, if it stopped him, we wouldn't be talking about him. In 1962, he'd end up attending Syracuse University. Uh, he'd end up... You know, recording a few more singles for the Jades. 
like the songs Merry-Go-Round and Your Love, but they wouldn't even get released till 2000. So, you know. Oh, wow. They'd be like that obscure, huh? Yeah. So, I mean, let's get to the my next dude check out the song from this, which is Merry-Go-Round. Hell yeah. This has, this was another jam that I actually really enjoyed. And like I said, I came into this not really thinking that I liked Velvet Underground because I'd heard a few other things a few other times. But Yeah, it's those tracks that everybody's always like, oh, you have to check this song out. But they truly do have some golden gems in there, man. Yeah, and I, I mean, like I said, uh, some of the stuff that you showed me is more, I think, uh, among my taste, which is, you know, because you and I have fairly similar taste, at least in the uh, genres we share, so. Right. So, uh, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I don't know. I just, I had a I had a predetermined opinion, and I, once again, it's false. Anyone out there who has a lot of predetermined opinions, you maybe you should consider uh, reconsidering your opinions, because I know mine always suck once I actually look at them later. Well, right, and... I've never been the biggest fan of Velvet Underground or Lou Reed, but I've spent enough time to dig through a decent amount of his discography to find the songs I do enjoy from him. Yeah, and it's worth the dig. But back to the song Merry-Go-Round, you did make a good point to me that I didn't pick up on when I first listened to the song. You said it sounded very disco and funky, you know? Yeah, it is It is very, very funky. Yeah, and this is in the 60s, back before there was even disco. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, it, it's not necessarily disco-y. I think it's just really, like, a really funky funk. does sound like something that was influenced by cocaine, though. <laughs> yeah, probably most of these songs were. That or heroin. Yeah, just, just drugs and electroshock. A lot of drugs and electroshock. As with any good, I feel like that's the theme for this this uh, decade already is drugs and electrical <laughs> drugs, definitely drugs. Yeah, because the only band that didn't really seem to do drugs was the Sonics. So yeah, exactly. I mean, weirdly, they came from the Northwest. So <laughs> yeah, that is kind of strange. But I mean, I don't know. When you think of like early Northwest stuff, I always think of lumberjacks anyway. So <laughs> yeah, not really. Yeah, we don't do drugs. We do pancakes <laughs> we we're too busy you know chopping down trees yeah I, I don't know i wish we were still lumberjacks I think that'd be a cool job really you think so no you think that would be a cool job uh, i was gonna say <laughs> <laughs> you didn't sell that sarcasm too well because yeah. for a second i believed you yeah no i'm not i'm not actually trying to be a lumberjack i don't know that, <laughs> that sounds really bad <laughs> it's a tough fucking job you're sort of sounding like how I was sounding last week with the Irish towards Lumberjacks, Pat. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Pat you... does not like Lumberjacks. Whoa, you straight up like called out the Irish and the Scottish and said that you didn't know the difference <laughs> and then essentially like made them all mad in one fell swoop. So don't put that on me or the Lumberjacks. Lumberjacks, I think you're cool. I just don't like personally think that I should do your job. And uh, I think Ian Pat's is... definitely not tough enough to be one of you. Uh, wow. Okay. Well, I have a cool beard, Ian. I have a lumberjack-ish beard. <laughs> my beard's longer than yours. Come oh on now. Oh, my God, Ian. You are just, you're you're feisty this week. Jesus, dude. I am feisty this week. I'm ready to fight. Yeah, well, you about, to, you about to get lumberjacked yourself. I'm not sure what that means, but it sounds cool. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> and so after graduating from Syracuse, you know, getting back to Reed, he'd move to New York and he'd take a job with Pickwick Records, a cut-rate record company who specialized in budget-price compilation albums. Oh, shit, budget-priced albums. And, yeah, to fill out their LPs and all, all the stuff they needed, Reed went into writing and recording for them, you know, mainly just trying to follow popular trends so, so the record label could be cool. Oh, yeah, of course, all the trendiest trends, right? Oh, yeah, the best trends that would make them lots and lots of money because you've heard of pickwick records so it clearly worked yeah exactly the legendary pick pickwick 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 records <laughs> oh my p-i-c-k-w-i-c-k they couldn't have thought that was going to be successful when they picked the name alone well one of reed's compositions was kind of like a wannabe dance number called the ostrich you know like it was <laughs> like the way i think of it it's like do the monster mash, but it's do the ostrich. <laughs> oh, do do we know what the ostrich is? is it's it an not dance? a good song. 
Uh, it's no. Do they? I mean, I'm not asking about the dance though. Do we know what the Oscars dance? It never caught on, so there was no dance. Oh, there was no dance. It was released on Pickwick. Come on now, you were just dissing them. (laughs) Damn it, Pickwick! You really screwed up my ostrich (laughs) fantasy. I don't personally think it's a good song. Uh, it's noisy, poorly recorded, and you just can't distinguish enough to really call it like a fun dance song. Yeah. I think that's a lot of the issues with these Velvet Underground songs that I don't like is they get into noisy for the sake of it. Oh, yeah. There was definitely some, like, let's be artsy and cool and, you know, like, go out of the norms, but then they went way too far out of the norms. Yeah, like, instead of out of the norms into, like, a musical way, they went out of the norms into just, like, buzz and buzz and, like... Some of their, especially their early stuff definitely did that, but it, we'll get to it, I I think there's an influence in there that you'll understand once I get to it. Oh, I, oh yeah, let's hit it. Let's but do I'm, it. I'm trying to keep the surprise going. Oh, you're trying to surprise us, huh? Surprise you. I'm not surprised that you're trying to surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, Pickwick, being the geniuses that they are, thought this song had commercial promise. Oh, of course they did. And so they would release this single under the group name The Primitives, which is, it's like, why would you pick such a cool name for such a terrible song? Yeah, that is a... <laughs> That's the early 70s punk rock band right there, The Primitives. Yep, that could have been really cool, but nope. And so, while Pickwick was trying to, you know, arrange like a band and some live dates for this song, while they're getting members together, Reed would end up meeting someone named John Cale. And... John Cale was not from America. He was a Welsh musician who ended up in New York trying to get a scholarship under Aaron Copland. Who is Aaron Copland, you ask? No. Oh, you don't? Okay, never mind. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Continue, Ian. Oh, okay. I, you you ruined it. You I ruined usually it. ask these things. <laughs> I know. I had to I had to set myself up here. <laughs> it was terrible. I know. I had to have the chance to just push you into the mud. Now, please continue. <laughs> Well, Aaron Copland was a leading American classical composer of the 20th century. His main work from was about 1925 to 1970. So we're getting close to the end of his run. Huh. And so he went to study under this classical composer from America. Yeah. And so now we need to talk about John Cale because he was definitely like a big member of the early part of Velvet Underground. Yeah. He's like the number two, right? He's like the number two, at least for a while. John Davies Kale was born March 9th, 1942 in Garnant, an industrial Amon Valley of Wales, to Will Kale, a coal miner, and Margaret Davies, a primary school teacher, which I just found out today is basically an elementary school teacher. (laughs) Yep, that's what it is, Ian. I'm so smart. <laughs> it's, that's what they call it in, in the Englands. In in the UKs? Yep, the primary school. The Ux. Do I need to talk some more shit about UK today or did no, I do please, enough last God, week? No, please, God, no. Just, we're we're already done bashing the, uh, the UK. <laughs> I mean, you actually were kind of on the British side for a lot of that. Like, you only kind of, you know, bashed the Irish and Scottish for some random reason, even though they weren't really involved in it. I know. That is kind of odd because... Their music's way better, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> at least tr- their traditional music. Yeah, I know. I had to. I had to go have some uh, <laughs> have some of their traditional music and traditional food afterwards <laughs> to cleanse myself of your heresy. Oh, are you truly cleansed now, or is my stink of anti-Irish people still on you? Yeah, you fucking colonial. I'm not anti-Irish. I just thought those jokes were funny. Okay. <laughs> and so, even though John Kell's father only spoke English. His mother spoke and taught Welsh to Kale. Welsh. Yeah. Do we need to talk about that dirty language? I don't really no, want to. Just continue. <laughs> I know I was just like frowning at you, like making fun of, but the Welsh don't have any population. So. <laughs> Fucking Welsh. <laughs> For shame. I don't even know what noise to make about the Welsh. I don't think you're making an evil enough noise. <laughs> Pat is summoning a ward around him right now so that no Welsh people will get around him. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Using my anti-Welsh craft. (laughs) And so because he 
couldn't speak English for a good chunk of his early life, you know, didn't have a great relationship with his father. He would end up learning English in primary school, but Kale also didn't have the greatest childhood either. Like, he would be molested by two different men during his childhood. Oh, God damn it. An Anglican priest who would molest him in church and one of his music teachers. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, a priest and a music teacher. Those two things are definitely things that should be molesting children. Wait, are there things that should be molesting children? No, I mean, not really. I don't like like story time monsters. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You heard it first from Pat. (laughs) It's not what I meant, but I don't know, man. Come on. I know. It's it's terrible. Jesus. like that's the that's the one two of people you should really trust is like oh the the, the religious leader and your music teacher yeah exactly like shit I don't know it just goes to show you folks you can't trust every musician <laughs> I think our show proves you can't you can only trust about like fifty percent of musicians oh we're up to fifty now no probably not I was being very very generous. <laughs> Most of them will slash you with a razor. <laughs> Most of them will? Oh, fuck. <laughs> so Kel would end up studying classical viola and piano in London. And he'd even have compositions that would be broadcast by the BBC when he was eight years old. Oh, that's fucking cool. Yeah. So, I mean, dude had some talent. And because of his talent for music, he'd end up getting discovered and being invited to study at goldsmith's college university in london and while he was there he'd end up like doing some early concerts even doing a festival called a little festival of new music on july 6th 1964 so you know i mean clearly like highly trained classical musician here (laughs) yeah like he's he's top of the line yeah he'd even like write some scores for some short films and some other stuff like that you know i mean like that's fucking cool. That's like child prodigy level. Yeah. I was not aware that he was that talented. Yeah, very very lean towards like the avant-garde style of music. But like I said, he would eventually travel to New York in 1963 to train under Aaron Copland. And so that's how we end up with him in New York. And upon getting to New York, he'd meet a bunch of influential composers. On September 9th, 1963... He'd participate alongside with someone named John Cage. I'm not sure who he is, but it seemed like a big deal. Like, you know, with all the time I had, I couldn't look everybody up. There's a lot of names in this. Is John Cage? John Cage. Yeah, I've never heard that name before. I mean, you lengthen that up a little bit, and he's a fucking Mortal Kombat <laughs> character. Yeah, okay. Well, we're not even going to research any farther. So he hung out with Johnny Cage. <laughs> and they would play an 18-hour piano playing marathon (laughs) oh that sounds fun i guess (laughs) i mean like the way they taking turns or they were both playing for 18 hours or i have no idea just some sort of piano playing marathon so who could play for 18 hours long i guess it's an endurance race hopefully it still sounded good by the end i mean i don't think so it's probably very simple at the end you go on to a, a television panel show called I've got a secret and brag about playing piano for 18 hours at this concert. (laughs) So, you know, he was famous. Yeah, of course. That's fucking awesome. And getting back to Kale meeting Lou Reed. Kale wasn't a big fan of the ostrich, but he was intrigued by Lou Reed's alternate tuning, which I heard a rumor. I couldn't confirm this, but it was the same note all across the guitar. Was the scale? Yeah, like, so every string was tuned to, like, E or something. (laughs) Okay, well, if that's actually what it is, that's not really a tuning, I don't think, but all right. Technically, it's tuned. Yeah, I mean, technically, that is, it is technically tuning, but what is... Think about some of those open note surf shit you could do with that. I guess that is true. (laughs) But they didn't play surf, so... I don't know. That, that's but the, I guess you could play triads, like, even with piano experience that way. I'm sure there's a way to play chords around it. It confuses my brain to try and think about it. Actually, as a piano player, I think I could think about it easier than you could. Yeah, but, you might be right. But that might make sense why he did it that way, too. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's even true. This is just a rumor I always heard about. It's not even in my fucking notes. <laughs> you just, Venus hearsay, it's not even going to be true. It's going to be some crazy tuning. And so they decided to start a band with music that would definitely not be what Pickwick would want. Yeah, of course. Because Pickwick knows what's going on and they know it's fresh, clearly. With some of the music I heard. Clearly, they knew what good, high-quality music was. (laughs) They were picking the wicks. And so, shortly after that, Reed would end up recruiting a friend from his days at Syracuse, Sterling Morrison. It's a cool name. I like that name. That is a good name, right? Sterling Morrison. And he'd kind of, you know, he'd be the other guitar player. So, be Kale on bass and viola, Reed on guitar and vocals. But you might be asking me one thing. What? Who's Sterling Morrison? Yeah, well, I, I mean, he's, he's got a cool name. Well, Holmes Sterling Morrison Jr. was born August 29th, 1942 in the Long Island town of East Meadow, New York. Hell yeah. Totally a place I've heard of. Yeah, the East Meadow, New York area. Yep. Yeah, and he doesn't have the same kind of tragic early childhood that the other two guys had. Oh, yeah, he's got a little more uh, normal by regular or uh, by comparison. Yeah, you know, he... Went to school, ended up at Syracuse. Originally started playing trumpet, but would end up switching to guitar after his trumpet teacher was drafted. Aw. That's probably the most tragic thing that happened in his life, too. <laughs> his, his trumpet teacher got drafted. That's yeah. his, that's his big tragedy. He's like, I'm going to draw on this for all of my musical experience <laughs> for a long time. I mean, to be fair, everybody's got some sort of sadness. You yeah, know, every, no, not downplaying anybody's tragedy. He wasn't but, molested, and he didn't get electroshock therapy. So yeah, it's those, like... It's hard to compare. Yeah. Those are some extremes. And so the band's almost fully formed, but they still need a percussionist. The trial percussionist Angus MacLeese, Mac, M-A-C-L-I-S-E. MacLeese? MacLeese, thank you. I don't know. I, that's just my assumption. But he didn't really work out too well, and so someone Sterling Morrison had met earlier in his life, he'd give her a shot, Maureen Tucker. Not a lot of Maureen Tucker, but she was born August 26, 1944, in Jackson Heights, New York. Yeah, and so, you know, Maureen kind of had the same life as Sterling, you know. Nothing nothing really happened to her. Yeah, pretty pretty normal comparatively. You can't really compare to electroshock therapy or molestation as far as... You really can't. I mean, it's not not even fair to try to. And so now they have a fully formed band, and then they needed a name. And so they would pick their name from a sensational paperback about the sexual revolution one of them found on the street. That's what the the Velvet Underground comes from? Yeah, is it's it? the title of a book about sexual revolution Hilarious. that they found on the street. Because people were probably having sex on velvet. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Velvet's weird. And, Don't it's, have... and it's underground. Yeah, well... I mean... I'm guessing because of sexual revolution, the underground was actually like, Dirty sex stuff that we don't want to talk about. Oh, yeah, like like faux pas stuff. Yeah. Like stuff with the poop. Fetish stuff. Yeah. Stuff, you know, the, stuff mean, that you're let's into. Let's be honest, we're still in the 60s, so, you know, <laughs> people definitely were not okay with fetishes. Oh, yeah. And so the group would kind of take up a residency in sorts at Cafe Bazaar in Greenwich Village in the winter of 1966, and immediately they'd be a controversial band for their unorthodox music and stage demeanor. What was their stage demeanor like? Just like dark and dreary, I would imagine. If it's anything of the live stuff I've seen of them. Yeah, it's like just kind of sullen. Yeah, very, very dark. Because like, they did not write happy music, let's yeah. be honest. But their antics would, you know, kind of get the attention of a famous artist. Maybe you've heard of him, Andy Warhol. Oh, shit, soup can guy? Soup can guy. Hell yeah. Which, he was a big deal in this time. Yeah, he was like a super, super big deal at the time. And he was looking for a rock group to add to his multimedia outfit, The Factory. Oh shit, The Factory. Yeah. And among a lot of the members of The Factory was Nico, N-I-C-O, who was a European model since she was the age of 16. She ended up moving to New York in 1959 and study acting with Lee Strausberg before appearing in, like, some Andy Warhol movies. Oh, yeah. 
which I can't even name one. This one was called Chelsea Girls. Uh, I mean, it's like super artsy kind of stuff. Yeah. Like stuff that if you're not in the know, you won't get. Oh, of course. Yeah. I won't be able to understand. Yep. Okay. I'll just, I won't understand then. I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) And so Andy would kind of push Nico to be in the band, help with singing and dancing and whatever, you know. And he wanted the Velvet Underground to join his total environment show, The Exploding Plastic Inevitable. (laughs) And, you know, this would become a thing in New York and then end up, like, touring Canada and eventually the rest of the U.S. with this. Yeah, it's the whole weird, artsy, like, avant-garde, like, kind of type art, you know? Yeah. Like, what Andy Warhol was known known for. Yeah, that that 70s art, right? That Well, that, the 60s. Or excuse me, 60s art that was like, you know, they thought was going to be the next level when it was yeah. really just weird. Yeah, which kind of turned art into being a toilet in a museum at that point. <laughs> in more ways than one. <laughs> Ooh, I like that one. <laughs> But with Andy Warhol's influence, they'd end up getting signed to MGM and Verge Records. And so the Velvet Underground would go record their debut album. Oh, shit. Andy Warhol was their main producer. Yeah, that's like right on the front of the album. It's almost as big as the fucking band name. Well, that was a alternate album cover that you saw. Oh, was it? It yeah. wasn't the primary one? No, they're, they're, the main one was the one with the uh, big banana in the front. Oh, yes, and then it says Andy Warhol underneath it. it. Well, it says The Velvet Undergrounds and Nico. Oh, is that what it says? That's the name of the album. Oh, okay. And actually, funny thing is, is that Big Banana in the front is actually a sticker. It's it's a sticker? Yeah, so you can peel it off, and I think it actually reveals a peeled banana, but I'm not 100% sure about that. That's pretty cool, though. Very, very artsy. Yeah, I know. That's so fancy. Nobody saw it coming. (laughs) The man doesn't like it. And so, you know, this album would be chock full of, like, musical experimentation and just really dark lyrics. Like, they had a song on there called Heroin. Oh, yeah, that's... Not about being a female hero. Yeah, no. (laughs) No, doing the drug. And, like, one of the lines in the song is, and when I put that spike into my vein. Oh, wow. Yeah, like, the song is literally about doing heroin. Yeah, that sounds terrible. It's not very funkadelic of you, man. And so if you guys haven't figured out yet, between me talking about Lou Reed and John Cale's past or mentioning Andy Warhol, yeah, they did a lot of fucking drugs. Yeah, they were all fucked up. Whatever they could get their hands on, cocaine, heroin, whatever. Like, (laughs) I mean, seriously, though, to have a song on your album called Heroin. Not a cautionary tale, either. I mean, it... He talks about how much he loves heroin, but <laughs> at the same vein, you kind of get the feeling that there's like a desperation for it too. So if you yeah. read into it enough, because it's art, which you're supposed to, it's definitely a cautionary tale. Yeah, I guess it just depends on how deep you read into it then. I mean, hearing I put that spike into my vein made me not want to do heroin. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's not the first thing that's made me not want to do heroin. (laughs) (laughs) You mean other than the fact that it's possibly the worst life choice you could make? Yeah. I mean, that among other millions of millions of reasons, I believe. There's like a laundry list of reasons not to do uh, heroin. Anyway, (laughs) they would have other songs on this called Venus in the Furs, and Furs is spelled F-U-R-S. This fucking song is amazing. This is honestly my favorite Velvet Underground song. Like, by far, this song just, since I discovered it in my youth, uh, somewhere in my early 20s, this song is, it just blew my mind because it, front to back, it's just like awesome. Yeah, and and it is like, it's five minutes and it feels really long. Like, it feels like a long psychedelic song, but it doesn't. I don't know, I don't feel like it drags as much as some of the other songs in the genre at the time. Well, and it's not even really a psychedelic song because they're not using, like, the traditional, like, reverb and weird distortion because it's a, you know, there's only one guitar on the song that's even distorted, really. Yeah, and I, I would say it is pretty instrumental in a lot of it, but it's also, like, cy- cyclic uh, lyrics and things it like that. It definitely has a psychedelic feel to yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. I like it. And then they'd have, I'm waiting for my man. There she goes again. 
Sunday morning, I'll be your mirror. And of course, with how, you know, experimental and different this album was, of course, I got no airplay. <laughs> yeah, nobody liked it. Fuck it. Yep. And this is the album where the saying at the beginning where, you know, very few people would actually buy the album, but everybody who did start a band, basically. Yeah. That's where this saying came from, was from this album. Oh, I see. Yeah, it would even eventually be put on, like, the most influential albums of the 1960s. Oh, I see. So it was very, uh, for the artist rather than the the rather large consumer base. I would call it ahead of its time. Oh, really. yeah. Yes, I ahead mean, of its time. That's, that's a stupid way to put it, but I think that's the best way to describe it, yeah, honestly. Yeah, in this, in this case, it actually does kind of fit. Because they do kind of, like, psychedelic stuff but then they experiment with solo it it would be much more popular album in the 70s that's for sure you know i think 90s is like a perfect era for this (laughs) album honestly or or, yeah exactly or even further yeah you put in the 90s and it's probably a very very popular pop album but this brings me to my next dude check out the song oh yeah and the first velvet underground dude check out the song so we got venus and furs Woo! i'm waiting for my man yay there she goes again. Yay. And Sunday morning. Hell yeah. And like there's a bunch of songs on this list, but if you're gonna listen to only one, just do Venus and Furs. Yeah. It's it's well worth mm, it. This song is so good. So good. It's it's one of those like add it to a playlist good. Yeah, it really is. It does kind of have that weird ending where they just decide to trash the whole song for thirty seconds, but Yeah, and they the, but one the, of those, the it, main content front to back of this song is just amazing it is definitely well uh well worth listening to i do agree that it does kind of get uh, like overly experimental there towards the end but it's to be expected yeah and you know maybe part of the reason why this album failed to sell was because you know there was some infighting in the company record you know just kind of the typical politics bullshit yeah you know and the fact that this song was so off the wall they didn't really know how to like promote it even yeah. though it was backed by Andy Warhol. Yeah, how do you market it? Yeah, exactly. Like, the music was just simply too out there, you know? And the only reason they would get people to show up is because the group was associated with Andy Warhol and the Exploding Plastic Inevitable. I really wish they put a word that started with C there <laughs> because then, you know, it's spelled epic. Exploding Plastic Inevitable. Oh. I like... He was missing one word there. Yep, inevitable crisis. <laughs> Boom, there we go, and yep. we got epic. We fixed you, Andy Warhol. Yeah, you, take that. You're so smart. Yeah, uh, oh, here's your soup can. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. I still eat that soup every once in a while. <laughs> Mainly tomato soup when I make some grilled cheese, though. Hell yeah. That's like the, the epic, I want to cook, but I don't want to cook combo. Yep. And you can still eat that today, thanks to Andy Warhol. Thank you, Andy Warhol, for making tomato soup awesome. Fighting the great fight against <laughs> anti-tomato soup advocates. <laughs> Without you, where would I be? <laughs> How would I have survived being a single man without Andy Warhol, really? Yep, yep. <laughs> we none of us would have made it. Also, though, around this time, like, psychedelic was a really big thing and even though we've mentioned psychedelic it just wasn't like psychedelic psychedelic you know there's the straight trippy like i need to take acid type music yeah let's be honest they were probably like doing like speed balls while they were making the album yeah most definitely uh <laughs> it doesn't really come off as super psychedelic like psychedelic drugs it comes no. off more as like I'm on heroin yeah. and cocaine at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Some 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 sort of downer. So this album would definitely get like a cult reputation to it, but in the 60s, that doesn't pay the bills. No, cult reputation pays nothing in the 60s. Absolutely nothing. And so in 67, this kind of started some fighting, you know, and inevitably Nico, never considered an essential member of, by the rest of the band would either leave or be fired. I don't know. I couldn't find an actual solution to whether she left or was fired. Oh, she would end up starting her own solo career. Once again, probably have to cover in the second part of the saga. And also the, the association with Andy Warhol would weaken. Like he just wasn't 
able to like devote enough time to them, you yeah. know, like he did the previous year. And, you know, Andy Warhol being Andy Warhol probably just saw it as a project and was like, okay, that art project's done. What's next? Yeah. I'm bored. I'm going to go do something else now. And the band's like, but wait. <laughs> and and then he's like injecting like heroin into his arm. Is like, later guys. Yeah, bye. I'm here to do more drugs and pretend that this shit that I'm doing is art. I'm so glad you have the same opinion of Andy Warhol as I do. I mean, no offense to anybody out there who, like, loves Andy Warhol or whatever, but, I mean, it's just whatever. He was just kind of out there for himself, and really all he wanted to do was freak people out. He didn't... There was nothing, like, I don't know, like... It's not very classy. Well, I don't know. It's I don't know. It's, doing a painting of... Like, we joked earlier, but doing a painting of Campbell's Soup, Am I supposed to be impressed? Yeah, no, exactly. I feel like a lot of his art was... Uh, it was a in, statement other than skill. actual true art. Yeah, exactly. It was it was lacked in skill, and I think that's my biggest issue. And I, I'm, this Look, episode, he, was, he was an important political figure. He was an important, like, cultural figure at the time. You know, I mean, and it's worth mentioning in this episode, but... Well, let's be honest, most of that art from that whole, like, revolution died off and is pretty much missing from art now. Yeah, pretty much. And so without Andy Warhol and Nico, time to go record a second album, don't you think? Well, of course. And they would go in, in kind of a tense atmosphere, Lou Reed and John Cole, like, they butted heads a lot. Yeah. But they would come out with an album called White Light, White Heat, Recorded in late 1967. I don't have an actual date for that. And this would be kind of a turn. It'd be a little bit more fuzzy, kind of noisy, you know, like real loud. It is definitely almost, different. Almost drony. They would have a song on it that was 17 minutes long called Sister Ray. What? I didn't actually play this for you. I thought about it and having you just click through it, which, okay, if I'm speaking honestly about this song, this song is pretty awesome if it was five minutes long, but they kind of like have kind of the same repetitive theme over and over and over in the song. And it's like, this is a killer song, but it needs to be like shorter. It's 75% shorter. <laughs> yeah. no. Most, most songs that fit like the 10, 12, 17 minute scheme. Very few are like need to be that long. Most of them are like, this song would be really cool. It's six minutes. Well, and here's the thing about me is, like, I can get down with some doom metal where they've got songs that'll be, like, 10 minutes to, like, 30 to even, like, the penultimate song, like, 60 minutes long. Yeah, the, you know? the album-long song. <laughs> yeah, which I always thought it would be hilarious if my metal band wrote a 30-minute-long song and get up on stage before we play anything and go, this is our last song, thank you for coming out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what? <laughs> the just song just 30 never minutes ends. Long. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I can get down with some of that kind of stuff, but this one, no matter any time in my life when I've listened to it, because I actually did get really into this album for a little while, there gets to a point with this song where it's just like, okay, I'm done with it. I'm yeah. done with it. Yeah, I want to turn this off. Yeah, like it just, it doesn't get me into that doomy mood where I want to hear that repetitiveness. It just kind of is just like, it's too much. It was, It went too far. Yeah. It's just too much. It's just too much. But they would have songs on there, like the title track, White Light, White Heat. Here she comes now, and I heard her call my name. And so let's get to this next dude. Check out the song. Just listen to Sister Ray, best song in the album. <laughs> I, I didn't talk shit about that, you know, because I hated it. Yeah, no, no we're, just, we're not going to do any dude check out the songs. We're just going to give you Sister Ray. <laughs> One 17-minute song, the end. <laughs> just kidding. Did not make my dude check out this song. But we got White Light, White Heat. The song, not the album. The song, not the album. I mean, you can listen to the album. It's If you're into some weird, noisy stuff, you can definitely get into this album. Here she comes now, and I heard her call my name. And that last one, I heard her call my name. It's one of those songs where it's like it's really awesome till they get to the guitar solo. Oh, yes. Is this one of the bang-bang guitar solos that we had? Yeah, it's the one where they really sounded like they were just trying to break the guitar every time a solo came. Yeah, which, yeah. I, you know, I totally get that that was, like, the thing. Well, you know? it, it was experimental, like, what can we get away with? 
Yeah, and I I I, I understand experimentation. But. Which which is truly unfortunate for me because I really do like the song. Yeah, the, like so, the, the song is the, super solid. Then it just kind of turns into like a like a Nirvana like not Jimmy not even Hendrix, that. Like, like if if anybody knows Greg Ginn of Black Flag, the later years of Black Flag where yeah. he started soloing, it's like they're trying to be like cool jazz, but they're not good enough to pull it off. Yeah, they're not getting any jazz rhythms. They're just randomly pounding on a guitar. Yeah, like. Like the uh, Charlie Parker episode that we talked about, which I even think I mentioned when we were listening to the song. Yep. Where it's like the whole, they don't follow any scale, but as long as they land on the right note, they're still considered in key. Yeah. You know, and to me, it was like that, but then they tried to take it a step further where they don't land on the right yeah. note. They don't land on notes. They don't hit. They don't use techniques. No chords. Yeah. We're just banging on the strings. And then, and then they squeal their guitar in a weird way. Like it just—it's it's not like, enjoyable. I like guitar squeals, but there's a way to manipulate that. Yeah. You know, back to kind of the weird doomy stuff I listen to. There's a, a band called Sun S U N N, and. I would never suggest looking their music up, but if you get a chance to see them live, do it because their songs are literally just them holding notes and manipulating the feedback, and you can feel the airwaves flow through you. <laughs> it's pretty fucking awesome, dude. Like, it's a real experience. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool, it but might it also be kinda, sounds kind of terrible, too. So it terrible to listen to, but to experience live, like smoke a joint before you go. Yeah. Oh, it's like one of the coolest things you'll feel. Yeah, interesting. Well, maybe if uh, we're ever allowed to go see live shows again, I'll uh, I'll go check that out. 2021 can't come soon enough, can it? Uh, yeah, I, it, I don't know if that's even going to be soon enough. Let's just let's hope just soon. Uh, I honestly have been fiending for some live shows again. Honestly. <laughs> I'm dying, dude. Yeah, just to get out and go to a concert, I know, man. Like, not even play one of my own, just to get out. and I, It could be the worst band ever. I just want to go out and see a fucking band play. Yeah, a couple of the my favorite bands were all supposed to play right before it all happened, so I, I had, like, tickets for all of my favorite bands, and then yeah. it all hit, and none of them got to play, and I was like, fuck. Yeah, my old band... We had a festival that we were supposed to play in August, and there was a couple bands playing in August that were on my uh, bucket list of bands that I haven't been able to see yet. Yep. And it was just worst fucking timing, dude, because I'm like, finally, <laughs> I have the time, I have the money, I can go see these bands. Yes. No. No. <laughs> Not a thing. Welcome to the plague times. And yeah, so unsurprisingly... This album was a commercial failure. Dun, 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 dun. It would top out at number 199. Oh, wow. That's that's pretty sad. Like, makes the top 200 just barely. Just barely. Oh, wow. And by the summer of 1968, commercial success would kind of be the least of their priorities. An even bigger rift would develop between Reed and John Cole. You know, the creative forces in the band at the time. Yeah, the the people who make it a thing. The egos. Yep. And Lou Reed would end up presenting the rest of the band with an ultimatum, declaring he would leave the group unless Kale was fired. Oh, never ultimatums, guys. Ultimatums are the worst. Don't do it. What'd they say? They sided with Lou Reed, I guess reluctantly. Oh. And they'd end up getting another musician named Doug Yule. To take Kel's place. That is the worst. Why don't... Uh, I mean, at some point, you got to recognize a bad situation for what it is. But for Lou Reed to kind of go, I'm either out of the band or he is. Yeah. It's kind of a dickish move. It has to be a really bad situation. And obviously, we don't have the context, so we can't really talk about it too much. But still. And so the group's third album, a self-titled album, was released in 1969. And would go extremely soft compared to white light white heat i could even say it kind of seemed like they didn't want to disturb their neighbors soft oh shit but you know it was still able to garner some attention but i honestly look at like the velvet underground's albums a lot like lou reed's career where it was just like they go from one style to another Potentially trying to find a sound, but really yeah. at the end of the day, not being satisfied with it. Yeah, they were never able to like successfully land on anything. Yeah, 
And this album would have songs like Pale Blue Eyes, Candy Says, What Goes On, which is probably their most rock and roll song, which still is pretty soft. Yeah. You know? And this brings me to my next dude check out the song. Oh, shit. Which is Pale Blue Eyes, which I know you really like. Yeah, that song was fucking actually pretty good. Yeah, not quite my style, but I really respect the song, which is why I put it on the list. Yeah. And then we got What Goes On, you know, their semi-rock and roll song, I guess you could call it. Yeah. But, of course, you know, them changing styles even more drastically really confused listeners and critics and wasn't well-received. And by this time, the label MGM and Verve, you know, they were kind of trying to get away from the albums that felt kind of drug-related, quote-unquote. Yeah. You know, they really didn't like those drug acts, and so they would be shortly dropped after releasing a live album called 1969 Velvet Underground Live. It wasn't released till the mid-'70s, but, you know, still... <laughs> it's still 1969 live, guys. Yep. Well, they played it in 1969, and yep. I guess even without Kale, they were still able to put on like a pretty good show. Oh yeah. You know? I mean, that doesn't take away the musicianship of anyone else in the band. And even during this time, they would record like an album's worth of additional material for the label that was supposed to be like their fourth LP. But kind of all that got shelved and, you know, what ended up getting released like years later, like, you know, bootleg type stuff. Yeah. And so they'd eventually go in and record what would be their fourth and final album in 1970 called Loaded. And honestly, first thing about this, their best album cover, they've got like the Velvet Underground loaded in like kind of smoky lettering would you call it yeah like arced lettering yeah it's kind of yeah kind of like a uh kind of like a rocker style yeah it, it is it's really cool with the, it's i don't know it's a 70s airbrush slash watercolor style like with some pink smoke coming yeah, out yeah well a, then they've, they've got that little area. subway yeah. with like pink smoke coming out and it just says the velvet underground loaded which is perfect like great album cover honestly yep and, dude, check out this album cover, honestly. Yeah. This is a great album cover. Yeah, they, don't check out any of the songs, just the album cover. But one thing about this album, their drummer, Tucker, you know, Maureen Tucker, she'd have to sit out a lot of this recording process because she's pregnant. Oh, shit. And so she'd be replaced by Doug Yule's brother, Billy. And by some accounts, he was kind of using his brother as, like, you know, like a wedge to get more power into the band. Uh, like, uh, filling votes, huh? Yeah. Not exactly, like, the most comfortable of recording processes. They'd take up a long residency at the New York's famous Max's Kansas City Club. I don't know if you know, but it's, like, famous for, like, all those early, like, punk bands, like, the Ramones and stuff, you know? Like, no, it I've was, never heard of it's it. It's, like, right up there with CBGBs in the New York punk scene. That's really cool. Yeah. So that's where they get a lot of their uh, punk, where they've influenced punk origin from. Well, I don't know if them, because they influence a lot more punk than punk being influenced on them, because they were a little early for that punk sound. That's what really. I said. That's where they get that, oh, that reputation for influencing punk. Yeah. Part of it, and then they were so off the wall, and a lot of early punk would really kind of like try and have an avant-garde style out of this scene, you know? Yeah. Just before the release of this album, Lou Reed would quit. His final studio album with the Velvets. <laughs> After making them kick the other guy out of the band, then he quits. Yeah, well, so much tension in the band. What a bitch move. It was probably an extremely smart move on his part, knowing how his future ends up. But Yeah, yeah. No, I, I get it and all. I'm just saying, like, if you're going to make them kick somebody else out of the band, then Yeah, but not, it wasn't during this album process. This was the album before that they made someone kick, kick yeah. him out. Yeah, no, I... Uh, yeah. It, it kind of sounds like... He was a hard guy to work with, Makes to be sense. fair. He would end up moving in with his parents like several months before he just decided to start a solo career. So it was literally like he's out, stayed at his parents for a little bit, and it's like, okay, I got to go record again. Ah, uh, yeah. So he wasn't done by yeah. any means. He just had a had a recoup at Mommy and Daddy's. But this album would end up having kind of their most like acceptable style sound. Yeah. It'd have songs like Rock and Roll and Sweet Jane, which... Have actually appeared in like several like indie films I've seen and stuff. Rock and roll was a good song. They're really good, enjoyable songs. 
And so let's get to my next dude check out the song, which is Rock and Roll and Sweet Jane. And of any of these two, I would probably imagine Rock and Roll to be the most likely that you would have heard. If anybody's seen the movie Adventureland, it's in it. I mean, really, that whole movie is like a masturbatorium of Lou Reed's career. But, (laughs) (laughs) you know, (laughs) it, it was in that movie. So if you've seen it. And so with Lou Reed living, of course, the band decides that they can continue. But it didn't go too well. Morrison and Tucker would end up leaving the band. And that left Doug Yule at the helm of the act that was the Velvet Underground. But there are no original members left at this point. Yeah, just that guy. It just, you know, whoever he decided to fill in. Yep. They would end up releasing an album in 1973 called Squeeze. Don't listen to it. Not worth it. It's bad. It's just, it's not even the Velvet Underground. I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, it's a literally different band. It literally, like, no original members. How can you call yourselves a Velvet Underground? That shit drives me crazy. That's happened to a few bands, and every time it's just like, why would you just, like, even change your name to the new Velvet Underground or some fucking shit? I mean, even that's stupid, but at least it's better. Yeah, at least they didn't split into two bands and keep touring. (laughs) What band was that? Uh, The doo-wop band? This is the Dell Vikings. Oh, yeah, the Dell Vikings, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Velvet Underground with two L's. Yeah, the Velvet <laughs> Underground. And so, like I said before, Nico had her own solo career. Lou Reed and John Cale would go on to have their own solo careers. You know, a lot of... And this is where I came to kind of an impasse in the episode. Yeah. We're already getting pretty deep into this episode. And this is where it's like... I could literally do at least a whole album's length worth of just Kale and Reed, you know? Yeah, exactly. Each of them probably deserve their own independent. uh... Yeah, and even Nico would get some mention in there, too, with her own career. Yep. But, I mean, it was like, I can't do it. I can't keep going on. Yeah, so so we're going to call it right here at the end of the Velvet Underground? Almost. Oh. So I do got to mention one song from Lou Reed's career. Okay. The album Transformer, which I do own on vinyl. Oh, you just had to brag a little bit. Uh, Well, you know, I mean, I'm a collector. A bragger. It's probably not an original pressing, so I don't know how much I can brag about it. <laughs> but anyways, moving forward. This album would end up being co-produced by David Bowie. Oh, wow. Yeah, like, it's a really, like, glammy, weird album. It's really, I love this album. It's really cool. Kind of got to be in the right mood to listen to, but it's a really good album. It's got some popular songs on it, though. It really does. And one of those popular songs would be a song called Walk on the Wild Side. Hey, babe. Take, take a, a walk, walk on, on the, the wild side. This song would actually be kind of an ode to, like, the misfits and hustlers who once surrounded Andy Warhol when they were with him in the 60s. And each verse was about a different person that was around him. So, like, the first verse was about a man named Holly Woodlawn. And so the second verse was Candy Darling. Third verse, Little Joe D'Alessandro. Sounds pretty Italian to me. Yep. The fourth was Sugar Plum Fairy, Joe Campbell. And the fifth was Jackie Curtis. And so before we, you know, move a little further on, let's get to my last dude check out of the song. All right. And it's Walk on the Wild Side. Oh, yeah. Not only is it a kick-ass song, but it actually tied into this episode. So yep. that makes sense. It was a good song. It it really was. And so in the 1980s, like, the original albums of the Velvet Underground were reissued. And a lot of, like, collections and outtakes, maybe some of these songs that were recorded before were released then. You know how record companies will like to hoard stuff that they have and eventually release it as ooper secret. Yeah. Unreleased. Yeah, unreleased material that you must need. And then, like, most of them suck. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's why it was unreleased. Unreleased because it sucks. Yeah. But considering they were gearing up for a whole album and then basically had to rewrite a whole other one, there's probably some uh, some jams in there. I just didn't have time to look into it. Yeah. No, I... I, I'm actually surprised already at how long this episode is. We usually don't get this much content out of one band or one group of people. Well, and it, the thing is, is they didn't have a long career. Like, 
No, they just had a bunch much, of bunch of weird stuff that happened. Yeah. But I also thought it was important to kind of give the pre-story of the Velvet Underground, especially for Lou Reed and John Cale. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. They had some traumatic shit happen to them. Yep. But, you know, because of these re-releases, you know, now they're thinking about getting back together and touring. The original band, Lou Reed, John Cale, Sterling Morrison, Maureen Tucker. There would be a member missing from that, Nico. Because, unfortunately, on July 17th, 1988... While on vacation on the Mediterranean island of Ibiza with her son, Ari, Nico would hit her head when she fell off her bike. A passing taxi driver found her unconscious, but had difficulty getting her admitted to local hospitals. She was misdiagnosed as suffering from heat exposure and died at 8 p.m. The x-rays would later show that she died from a severe cerebral hemorrhage. Oh, fuck. That's so shitty. But the rest of the band would end up getting together and doing a European tour and a live album in 1993. They were planning an American tour. But of course, the old rivalry heats back up. Lou Reed and John Cale can't get along. Done. Yep, they break the band back up. Yep. And in late 1994, Sterling Morrison would be diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and his health would start deteriorating. Even to the point where he could no longer play guitar as a result of him losing many layers of skin. Uh Oh. He would end up being visited by the rest of the bandmates. You know, Lou Reed would say on his last visit, he was bedridden, he had lost weight and his hair, but never complained about his lymphoma and described it as leaves in the fall. (laughs) So, I mean... Yeah, at least he was... uh, like adult about it that's yeah, just yeah. everything we've got to go through we all got to deal with our own death at some point and, yep you know he had to deal with it earlier than most people on august 30th 1995 he'd end up dying of non-hodgkin's lymphoma one day after his 53rd birthday oh well at least he, he made it to 53 that's you know i mean the older i get the more i'm like okay I got to make it past 50 now because <laughs> we're talking about this earlier, you know, how we didn't think we were going to make it past 25. And then it's like, no way we'll get to 35. And now I'm going, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, and how far can I can make I, it? Can I at least make it to 60, please? <laughs> you know, going on into the 90s and the 21st century, Kellen Reed would continue with their solo careers. A lot of their unreleased material would keep getting released. You know, even a five-CD box set that would include all four studio albums. You know, basically enshrining their legacy. But Lou Reed would suffer from hepatitis and diabetes for several years. You know, he practiced Tai Chi during the last parts of his life. You know, at least getting some sort of exercise. Yeah. He'd end up being treated for liver problems, but would end up developing liver cancer. In May 2013, he undergo a liver transplant at the cleveland clinic afterward on his website he'd write feeling bigger and stronger than ever but on october 27th 2013 the same year he'd end up dying from liver disease at his home in east hampton in new york at the age of 71 he was cremated and his ashes were given to his family oh and john kellen maureen tucker still alive to this day still kicking still kicking and it's about time to get to our final thoughts, I think. <laughs> I don't know what final thoughts I'm even going to be able to have on this. Uh, it's this. You is, can go first on this one. Well, they, yeah, I'll go first. Like I said, I just don't really know what final thoughts I have on this. I don't really, uh, not really a big fan of uh, most of the stuff that they produced besides some of their uh, more specific songs that I enjoyed. And, you know, I don't really got a lot of respect for Andy Warhol. I find all that stuff kind of uh, masturbatory <laughs> is a really good way to put it. Uh, so I guess I could just say... Uh, Second time we've uh, used that form of the word today. Yeah, exactly. The uh, best I could say is uh, don't use ultimatums on your band. That's a dickhole move. The end. <laughs> don't do heroin and write a song yeah, about don't, it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've done the drug thing too many fucking times. I'm not covering If you guys don't know by now that I say don't do drugs and don't be a racist prick, you haven't been paying any attention. Well, after that lackluster performance by you. Oh, my God. I think we at least got to recognize the influence that cre- that they have created on popular culture over the years. I mean, you know, I mean, 
just the weirdness of the band. Like when we're listening to these songs, we're always going, Oh, it sounds like this guy. Oh, it sounds like that guy. Clearly, you know, even though we both kind of came to the conclusion that Lou Reed kind of wanted to do his own Bob Dylan thing, you know, they were clearly an influential band. They definitely needed to be mentioned in this season because it was kind of the theme that we're doing for this season where it's like things that bands that you possibly didn't know about or events that you probably didn't know about that would, you know, kind of influence the rest of music going forward. Well, it's not just the theme for this season. That's the theme for the show, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. But it almost seems like this season has like an extra note of you probably haven't heard of this band because even though these bands were like well-known in our youth, there's a lot of people that don't know anything about anything we've talked about this season. You didn't even know Rocky Erickson, you know, so it's kind of that theme of, these are the unknown heroes of this era. Yep. Well, I guess that's true. And if you want to be an unknown hero to us. Best way to do that is to give us stars on whatever uh, mediums you listen to the podcast on or, you know, say nice things about us. Tell people about us. Yeah. If you like us, give it to your friends, man. You know, check us out on Spotify. We've got all the songs we mentioned on this episode. Yep. Playlist for the, for all the dude checks. I guess not on our last episode. That was an anomaly. Yeah, for for all the episodes with actual dude check out the songs, we have them. I think we've got two episodes we didn't do dude check out this for, so. Yeah, most definitely. But honestly, if you guys are interested in music, looking for something unique, just check out our Spotify. That's yep. where it's at. Absolutely. As always, thank you for coming in tonight. We love you. Have a good night.